Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Victory Life Church. We're so glad you're here. My name is Peter Knotts. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are thrilled to have you joining us in worship today. Uh, our theme for the year, our vision for the year is live the story, make disciples. So over the coming year, you'll be hearing about uh, what we believe it looks like to be a fully formed disciple and how you can join uh, in making disciples if you're at that point in your walk with Jesus. So we're excited to hear more about that today. Uh, if you are new here today, we want to invite you to fill out one of the cards on the seat backs in front of you. Uh, you can turn that into our welcome center out in the lobby. We'll have a special uh, free gift for you, and we would love to be able to pray for you um, and get you connected to our church community if that's what you're looking to do. If you are worshiping with us online and you are new, uh, we would love to welcome you as well. So you can go to our website, vlchurch.com, click the New Here banner at the top, fill out the form there, and we will get connected with you as well. I have a few announcements for you today. One of them is about our life groups. So life groups is what we call our small groups at our church. And we really want everyone who calls uh, Victory Life their church home to be in a life group. Um, Hey, hey. Um, we really want everyone who calls Victory Life their home church to be in a life group. We want you to be doing life together, um, supporting each other, walking through whatever it is that's happening, um, walking through a, a deeper time of scripture study together. So we really want you to be in a life group if this is your home church. So we would invite you to sign up for one of those life groups um, the way that you can do that, if you still have um, this key tag that we handed out a couple of weeks ago, if you actually put that on your keys, I know I didn't, but I hope you did. Um, so uh, if you have one of these key tags, you can scan this, and that would uh, lead you to where you can sign up for life groups. You can also just go to our website, um, and you can sign up for life groups there. Or if you're not a phone or computer person, you can just call into our church office, and we can get you connected with a life group that way. We also have a Pursue Night coming up on September 29th at 7 p.m. We'll be having a Pursue Night. If you are not familiar with that language, Pursue Nights are times when we just spend some extra time in prayer, spend some extra time in worship and kind of um, seeking and enjoying the presence of the Holy Spirit, inviting Him to direct us and to speak to us, um, praying over each other and things like that. So we would love to have you come out to our Pursue Night. Um, Pursue Night will, the, the Pursue portion, with the worship and prayer will happen here in the South Sanctuary. And then after that, we'll also have like a pizza party and some board games and fellowship time. Uh, so we'd love to have you come out to that on September 29th. Mark that on your calendars. Last, you will see on some of the chairs, we have some notebooks. I should have brought one up with me, but I didn't. They look like cardboard. There we go. Thanks, Brandy. Um, so we have some notebooks, and we want to invite you to, um, if, you, if you're a note taker, we want to invite you to take notes in those notebook, uh, the notebooks over the course of this year um, and just uh, you know, have a record of what you've learned about what it looks like to be a fully formed disciple. So Pastor Matt wanted you to have those um, and wanted you to have that opportunity. If you're a note taker, those are for our, our youth and for our adults, and we would love to have you um, just kind of record what you learn over the course of the next year so that when you are making disciples, you kind of have a record of what we've been learning about what it looks like to be a fully formed disciple. 
Next is the portion of our service where we continue in worship through our giving. So if you would like to give today, whether that's tithes or offerings, you can do that by texting. You can do that on our website, or you can do that as you exit the sanctuary today. There's a place between the doors there. Um, thank you for your giving. Thank you for supporting the work of Jesus here at our church. Now I want to invite you to stand, and we're going to transition to the part of our service where we worship through our singing. So please pray with me. Lord, we're here to acknowledge that you are our Savior. You are um, the one who, who redeems us. You are the one who has showed us grace again and again and again. Lord, we come to worship you with, with passion and, and with volume and with all of our heart and with singing just like they did in Scripture because of what you have done, what only you could do to save us, your people. Lord, may you be honored in our worship today. In your name we pray, amen. Amen, let's worship him this morning. Put your hands together. Let your prayer. 
always tough at 9.40 in the morning, but I do want to share a scripture with you, and here's the reason we do it. Because scripture says to, it says, Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. We don't have a harp of ten strings, but we have lots of instruments with many strings. So we do that. Sing to him a new song. Not always the old, but a new song. And play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. I read that and I thought I have to do that song. That's what that's, what that's all about is that song right there. It's a newer song. It's loud. And we play it on the strings. It's scripture to do that this morning. But also we do it because God is good. God is great. He is righteous. He is holy. He is loving. He is forgiving. He brings peace. He brings satisfaction. He brings joy. Those are the reasons we sing. Those are the reasons we shout. But this morning we're going to sing about his holiness. Psalm, I believe it's 28 or 29, also says, Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. In the splendor of his set-apartness. His perfection. So this morning let's continue to worship that God who is holy.
Yes, you are holy, Lord. Yes, you are. Lord, we don't neglect to look at the aspects of your holiness this morning. We will not neglect to look at your perfect love, which is a strong and powerful aspect of your holiness. Would you bow your heads for a moment as we reflect on some scriptures that talk about Christ's perfect love? Jesus, you yourself said in the book of John, no greater love is there, is there than this, than that a man would lay down his life for his friends. And you did that. But in the book of Romans, it also says, God showed his love to the, us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still enemies of you, you died for us. That was God showing his love to us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. In your perfection, you could lay down your life and you could bear our sins. You took those sins on the cross sins were nailed into your hands and your feet. They were placed upon your head and into your side. And you bore them. And now we are forgiven when we call upon the name of Jesus. So this morning we remember your perfect love. Joy to honor you in all I do. 
Lord Jesus, we do pray that in this place you would be honored. We do pray that in this place you would be glorified. For your amazing love has saved us and made us new. 
We pray, Lord, this place would be a place of gratefulness and recognition and rejoicing. Not because of any other reason, but because of who you are and what you have done. We thank you for who you are and what you have done. And today, as we enter into a time of communion, we pray that you'd continue to be honored in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brothers and sisters, you may be seated this morning. We are, as I mentioned, going to enter into a time where we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And the beauty of this moment is that each one of us has a place at the table, a place that the Lord has prepared for us, a place where we can commune with him, a place where we can honor the sacrifice that he's made, and a place where we can look forward to eternity in heaven with him. I want to read to you today from the book of Matthew just about the night that this was instituted. The Bible says that as Jesus and his disciples were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, and giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples, and he said, take and eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. So today we get to reflect upon the sacrifice of Christ on the cross where the bread and cup truly becomes the body and blood of the Lord. We get to repent of any sins that stand between us and our God for he has forgiven them. And we get to rejoice in the fact that one day we will drink it anew with the Lord Jesus in his kingdom. Oh, that's exciting, folks, because that's what we were created for. Servers, would you come and take your places today? And as you do, uh, congregation, I'll just describe for you how we do communion here at Victory Life. This is open communion, which means if you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, we invite you to participate with us today. In just a moment, I'll invite you to exit into the center aisles and come and receive the bread and the cup and exit through the side aisles back to your seat. Hold on to the elements and we'll pray over them together. If you are unable to come and receive the elements this morning, don't worry. Raise a hand to just about shoulder height. Keep it raised and our servers will come and they will find you. What should we do as we prepare our hearts for communion? Well, I've mentioned it already. As you're standing in that aisle waiting to receive the elements, reflect. Reflect on the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Repent. Ask him, Lord, is there anything that stands between you and I today? Would you forgive it? And rejoice. For Jesus is waiting to partake of this particular meal with us when we see him in his kingdom. So would you stand today? Would you come to the center aisles and receive the bread and the cup?
my joy to honor you in all I do. I honor you. Today we come to the table 
attempting to give our lives because he gave his life. Today we come to the table not having earned a place, but have, having been given one. Today we come to the table unworthy, but made worthy. Today we come to the table in need to leave it fulfilled. Today we come to the table broken to be healed. Today we come to the table in need of forgiveness, confident that we will find forgiveness here. Today we come to the table loving Christ, asking that we might love him more. Today we come to the table in gratitude because we always need a fresh opportunity to be grateful. And today we come to the table to declare that Jesus is Lord. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord Jesus, you earned our faith and fidelity by humbly giving your life, every aspect of it, for your fallen creation. We thank you, Lord, that you gave your life and every aspect of it that we might be healed, forgiven, made new, set aright. Thank you for your broken body, which was broken on the cross that day, for it is life to us. Shall we eat together? Lord Jesus, in our first song today, we declare that every blood-bought saint ought to praise your name. Saint means holy. By your blood, you have made us, like you, able to stand in the presence of God, holy, pure, and clean, not by our own merit, but because of your shed blood. So we blood-bought saints today praise your name. And we honor you that our sins have been remitted by the blood of our Passover lamb. Shall we drink together? Lord Jesus, you are meeting us here at this table, reminding us just how much you love us and how we ought to love you in return. We are grateful today for all that you've done, for what you are doing, and for what you are going to do in the lives of blood-bought saints. Thank you for purchasing us back from sin and death and making for us a way to be with our Father for all eternity. We thank you and praise you for these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen. Well, welcome once again to Victory Life Church this morning. I'm Pastor Matt, and it's going to be my great privilege to get to share with you from the Word of God. But before we do that, I'm going to let you know that if you would not like to be encumbered with your cup the rest of the service, there is a small receptacle on the seat back in front of you. You can put it right in there, and our sanctuary team will come and clean those between services, get those out of the way. Uh, also, at this time, I'd like to dismiss our young disciples, so you all can head on down the hall. Get a message that is designed for you, and we're excited for you to be able to do that. There goes a plethora.
a sheer gaggle of children. For you old disciples, go ahead and turn in your Bibles today to John chapter 13. We're going to be in John chapter 13 and 15 today, and I'll explain that in just a minute. We're going to probably go till, oh, I don't know, about 1040 this morning, so I want to give you fair warning on Communion Sundays. We don't try to package everything in just an hour, and so just a fair warning today. I also need to take about five minutes to do a little bit of um, orientation for us, make sure we all are pulling in the same direction here. So we're going to take about five minutes, talk about that, and then we'll get into John 13 and 15 today. Three weeks ago on our Vision Sunday, we encouraged you that our vision for the year was to make disciples, that ultimately the goal of being a disciple is to participate with the Lord Jesus in making new ones. We talked about Jesus saying to his initial disciples, follow me, become my disciples, and I will make you fishers of men. And as he commissioned them at the end of his ministry, what did Jesus say? I need you to go into all the world making disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. So ultimately, disciples reproducing themselves, discipleship reproduction is the name of the game. So we've talked about that for three weeks. But we also told you that we need your help. As our church continues to grow and God continues to send us people of all kinds and all types from all different backgrounds, it's going to be impossible for us to do that mission well without you. We need you, fully formed disciples, to help us make more fully formed disciples, whether that be in a mentoring setting or a small group setting or, or, or just taking an, an interest in folks and helping move them on to God's agenda for their life. But we recognize, as a staff and elders, we probably should tell you what a fully formed disciple looks like. You know, we should probably tell you what we're going for as a church. What, what are we hoping to see emitted from the lives of those who have become followers or disciples of Jesus? So over the course of the last four months, the staff and the elders, we've been in conversations asking the questions, what does a fully formed disciple look like? If we're going to tell our people to make disciples, we should probably tell people what disciples look like, who they are on the inside, and, and then what comes out of who they are on the inside. And we came up with 15 different things. Uh, attested to by scripture that we think a fully formed disciple has or is or does. And so the course of the next year, all the way until August of next year, we're going to be preaching about those 15 topics and taking three weeks on each one. Now here's the exciting part about that. If you have a particular topic you love to hear preached on, you'll hear it this year. You're welcome. The negative part is if there's a set of sermons that you hate, you will hear them. Because we want to do all the things that Jesus told us to do. We want to embody everything the scripture tells us to embody. So why the notebooks? Why, why are those sitting on chairs around you this morning? Well, here's why they're sitting on chairs. For those of you who are going to partner with us in making disciples, and you're like, Pastor Matt, a couple weeks ago I was inspired. I know that it's my job to help make other disciples. Jesus said so, and I want to participate with my church. Well, this is a crash course over the next 45 weeks that you're going to be able to write in your words what you hear from the pulpit. So ultimately, hopefully, you can convey those to others. So as you're sitting having coffee with that person that you're trying to mentor, or as you're sitting in life group and you see that folk person on the couch across from you who really needs more of Jesus, you could say, you know what, I've already thought about this, I've already heard about this, I've written it in my own words, and I'm able to convey this concept to someone else who is becoming a fully formed disciple. So that's why the notebooks, and that's why I would humbly ask that you might consider, even if you are not a note taker, saying, you know what? I'm going to get a crash course in disciple making. 
in the next year, and if I take my own notes, there's a higher probability that I'll remember what was preached. Okay, so that's why they're there. I hope some of you who would say, you know what, I hate doing things that I'm asked to do as a general rule, you'd consider picking up a notebook today, grabbing a pen, stealing one out of your neighbor's purse, and, 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 and following along. For those of you who are becoming disciples this morning, we're so glad that you are. This is a crash course over the next year of what a disciple looks like. And you're going to have great material that comes from all different types of preachers, not just me, on, on what makes a fully formed disciple. Because ultimately... As we make disciples, Jesus says, teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. And so that's what we're going to try to do. We're going to do this crash course here in the next 45 weeks. So that's what we're doing. The good news is, I have given you a notebook, which means that those of you who love to doodle during sermons, you're welcome. Also, there is no cover art on this, because we want to encourage you to put together your own cover art. I have put together mine, and I'm looking forward to using this as time goes on. And so you can use your own cover art for your fully formed disciple notebook over the course of the next year. And there's enough pages that if you take a page or two on each sermon, you're going to be golden. And so make sure you enjoy the cover art. For those of you who doodle as a reason to ignore the message, God forgive you. But for the rest of you, we're going to dive in this morning with our next aspect of a fully formed disciple. But let's pray before we do that. Heavenly Father, we know that you're a God of clarity. And Lord, we know that you are a God of order. So, Lord, I pray that you would give us clarity. I pray that you would, you would structure and order our minds and our teachings over the course of the next year. We already know that we're supposed to reproduce other disciples. That's what you've called us to do. Now, Lord, as we turn the page into another aspect, another hallmark of a fully formed disciple, Lord, help us to operate in humility, clarity, and obedience. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Two sections of John for us to look at today, John 13, 33 through 35, and John 15, all right, 12 through 17. We're going to be in those two passages today because they fit together. We don't always need to jump around, but you're going to see today that Jesus gets interrupted in the middle of one of his teachings and has to come back to it because he tells us a new commandment that his disciples need to be following and then he gets interrupted and takes, a, takes some time to do some really good teaching. And then on the other side, he resumes the teaching to tell us why it's so important that we fulfill the commandment. Well, what's the commandment we're going to look at today? The commandment is going to be to love one another. We like to say here at Victory Life that disciples, people who love Jesus, do life together in loving community. That's ultimately what Jesus calls us to do. Fully formed disciples do life together in loving community. Today we're going to see Jesus command us to do this, and then he's going to explain why he commands us to do this. Now, for some of you, this might be your least favorite sermon series right now. You're like, oh, he's going to talk about community. Preachers are always talking about community. Well, let me tell you something today. If you're disinterested on any level, This is such a strong commandment of the Lord Jesus Christ that there is a distinct possibility that you are in rebellion today to your Lord. You're welcome. I mean, there's a real possibility that you could be in in, in true rebellion to a command of the Lord Jesus. So so that's a reason to listen in. But but if that's not enough reason to listen in for community, I think by the end of our time together today, you're going to see Jesus stack four principles And when we get to the top principle in his teaching, you're going to see exactly why he calls you to do life together in loving community. He's going to give you the ultimate why. And sometimes we don't see the why, 
So we're just like, are we just supposed to love one another and sing kumbaya? And that is not why he calls us to love one another. He calls us to something much higher. So let's go ahead. Let's read our first couple of verses here and see this commandment from the Lord. This is John chapter 13, verses 33. And following little children, he says to his disciples, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now this speech that he's giving to his disciples comes on the heels of that epic scene where he washes their feet. He, 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 he gets a towel and washes the feet of his 12 disciples. And then he says, here comes my new command, love one another. This is also on the night before his death, and so he's letting them know, hey guys, I'm going away. Where I come, ultimately, you cannot follow. So when Jesus dies, and he rises again, he's not going to remain upon the earth. Now let's do a little sidebar theology for just a minute here. Why doesn't Jesus remain on the earth? after his resurrection? And the answer is because resurrected bodies, perfected bodies, do not belong in a fallen world. Resurrected bodies belong where God the Father is. And so when you are resurrected, you will be where God the Father is. In the same way that Jesus is not going to operate in a resurrected body in a fallen world, he's gonna ascend to heaven, we will one day ascend to where the Father is when we are resurrected. So he's saying, I'm going away. Right now you cannot follow. But here's, here's ultimately the good news for these disciples. They can operate in a fallen world. They can try to save fallen people in a fallen world because they're not yet resurrected. So they can't follow Jesus, but that doesn't mean the story ends here. The story's just beginning. He's going to need them to love one another. He's giving them their marching orders because ultimately they have work to do. These marching orders are such that we haven't seen anything like this to the book of John, in the book of John, to this point. Jesus never describes anything he does in the book of John as new until now. I mean, we love as public speakers and preachers, say, let me tell you something new. Let me give you a new revelation, a fresh revelation from the Lord. Jesus never uses that type of language until right now. He says this is a new commandment. Now, what makes it new? Aren't we, we know we're supposed to love. Jesus has already said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? He's also said, love your neighbor as yourself, right? So he's given us these two commandments. But this is a third commandment. This is different. This is different than expressed love in a worship service to the Lord our God. This is, this is also, you know, uh, uh, different than, you know, loving our neighbor whose dog goes poop on our lawn. This is different than that. This here is love for the community of other disciples, of other people who are serving Jesus. That's what makes it new. The love that is expressly commanded right here is for this group, loving the community of disciples where you do life with them. That, that's ultimately what this command is all about. Why? Because he's going away. And he knows we're going to need one another. And we're going to need one another big time. 
And so he knows that he needs to demonstrate this type of love to his disciples, and that's why just previous, he kneels down and washes their feet. Their dirty, stinky, cracked, bunion-filled feet. The uncreated, second person of the Trinity kneels down and washes feet like yours if they were in sandals and walked all the time on dirt roads. He does that. That's humble, sacrificial love because feet are gross. If you like feet, we'll pray for you. (laughs) Feet are gross. But such is is the object lesson of how he's going to need these people to love one another. Do you see how if we don't love the discipleship community... We're so not matching the heart of Jesus. If he would wash their feet, and we can't even bring ourselves to do A, B, and C, we're somehow missing a huge emphasis of what Jesus is all about. He uses this word new because he needs them to get it, and he needs them to get it big time. Now, this, uh, this, this, this command to love one another, this really bothered me for years, for years, Because as I was beginning to to unpack the New Testament and really learn the scriptures, I saw this over and over and over again. Love one another, take care of one another, love the body, love one another, love one another, love one another. And it bothered me because I wanted the Bible to say love the lost more. I wanted the Bible to say love lost and fallen people more and stop focusing on loving the insular church community more. It truly bothered me. I'm like, what are we doing here, Jesus? You want us to save the world, yet you give our last command to love one another, and then your disciples, John, Peter, Paul, James, are all so focused on the discipleship community, loving one another. Why? If you, we should be loving the world. How about a new commandment I give to you, love lost people? I didn't agree with the words of the Lord. Yet here we are. As if Jesus is not being, you know, not Matt-focused enough. He goes ahead and, and says, by this, all men will know you are my disciples. What? No, no, by outreach and by shining our light and by being in community, all men will know you are my disciples. Come on now, Jesus. No one's spying on our gathering today. No one's on the extension ladder looking in the window like, do they love one another? They must be Christ. No one's doing that. This is a weird statement by the Lord. By this, all men will know you're my disciples if you love one another. Do you see why I'm bothered? If if you don't, you just might think I'm weird, but I'm bothered by this. Why this insular love one another? Why is it so important? Well, Jesus wants to answer that, but like any good teacher, he gets interrupted. If you look down in your Bibles, it's not, I don't know that's going to come up on your screen today, but Peter says to Jesus in verse 36 of chapter 13, Lord, where are you going? We want to follow you. So the disciples are really upset. They're not even listening to the command of Jesus. They're not even listening to what Jesus has to say. They're upset that Jesus is leaving. And so Jesus takes time, like any good teacher, to stop and comfort them. And this is a bit of an intermission. We're going to go to chapter 15 and see the why in just a minute as Jesus is stacking concepts. But, but here's the issue. He says, I, I am going away, but it's good I'm going away. Because if I go away, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Do you remember that? In my Father's house are many rooms, and if I go away, I prepare a place for you, and if I prepare a place for you, 
why what I, I said, I'd come again and take you unto myself that where I am you may be also. So he says, this is good. I'm preparing eternity for you. He says, by the way, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me, so I'm creating the pathway to the Father. Then he goes on to describe this guy called the Holy Spirit. And he says, it's good that I'm going away because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's going to be with you, and he's going to be in you, and he's just like me. In fact, you can call him the paraclete. You can call him the comforter. He's going to come and comfort you. And so you can remain in me. I am paraphrasing two chapters of Scripture. You can remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches, or whatever it is. And, and so we're going, I, am, I, I messed that up, I'm so sorry to those of you who love the 80s. But anyhow, um, he's saying, you can remain in me because I'm sending this Holy Spirit who will remain with you and in you and be your comforter and your teacher. So that's what he's doing. And then he gets back to the teaching on love. So I need you to skip over with me to John chapter 15. After comforting his disciples and explaining why he's going away, he gets back to the teaching. So turn to chapter 15 with me here, and we're going to look at verse 12. This is where he picks up. Some Bible scholars, by the way, believe that people rearranged the book of John later on and put that teaching in there where they should have been smushed. But we don't need to do that. He got interrupted. How many of you get interrupted when you're teaching your children, right? He said, little children, and then they interrupted. Everything's normal. So he got interrupted. He comes back, and he starts stacking the concepts of the why. Verse 12 of chapter 15. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. Now look at the closing statement, verse 17. These things I command you so that you will love one another. So he he told him what he was going to tell him, then he told him what he told him, And then he told him what he had told him, right? How many times does he say, love one another? And and thus endeth the teaching. But but just for for the sake of of context, will you read two more verses with me? For those of you who had your Bibles, will, will you read 18 and 19 with me, just for the sake of context? If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world... But I chose you out of the world, and therefore the world hates you. World, so, so here's the context, right? So love and hate, light and darkness, there's a real threat here if we don't love one another. So Jesus likes to call his disciples. He likes to call them to a level of discipleship, and then he likes to drop another bomb on them and make it harder. He's just washed their feet And then he said, love one another. That stinks. No pun intended. Then he comes back to this teaching and says, love one another as I have loved you. And AJ quoted it for us during our worship time today. No greater love has anyone than this than a man lay down his life for his friends. I need you to love that way. So not not just humble love, now he calls them to sacrificial love. 
And see how this works within the narrative here. He's saying, I need you to love one another. That's my new commandment. You gotta love one another big time. And I need you to love one another like I love. I need you to be like Jesus to one another. So he's stacking concepts here. I need you to love with humble love for one another. This isn't love for neighbor. This isn't love for God. This is love for the discipleship community. And I need you to love like I love. I need you to sacrifice for one another. I I need you to operate that way. And with the context of verse 18 and 19, the world hates you, does not want you to succeed, does not want the mission of Christ to succeed. That makes sense, doesn't it? That we're going to need to be Jesus to one another. Ultimately, a fully formed disciple doesn't come to church to get more of Jesus. A fully formed disciple comes to church to be Jesus to others. That, that's what he's getting at. That, that we love one another humbly and sacrificially because the world hates us. And we're going to need one another to be fallen people in a fallen world doing the work of Jesus. So, so concept after concept But then he gives us the next concept. He says, you're my friends. That's a very nice thing to say, because up to this point, they'd been a rabbi-student relationship or a master and servant relationship. He says, you're my friends, because you know what I'm doing. I've told you everything that I'm doing, like a good rabbi should. He's told them everything. But ultimately, you remain my friends by obeying. I'm still the master. I love you, and I lay down my life for you. But ultimately, I need my church, my disciples to obey me, or we're not going to get anywhere. That's what he says to them. Why, why here? Why obedience here? Why obedience here? Well, well, I'm going I'm to just telegraph where we're headed in just a second, but, but loving community fosters obedience. Ultimately, if we want people to change, to become more like Christ, It'd be good if they saw some Christ in the people around them. If we want to spur one another on towards love and good deeds, as Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 tells us. Thank you, Cindy, for catching my typo. If we want to spur one another towards love and good works, it's important that we demonstrate that love. Because if you think that I, if I, if you think I don't like you, but I speak the word of Christ, you're going to be a little bit less inclined to change. But if you know the person sitting next to you loves you deeply, and they go, dude, you got to change. We've got something here. Because remember, disciples make other disciples by teaching them to observe everything that Christ commanded. So this loving community fosters obedience. So, so Jesus is saying, I need you to love one another because it's a tough world out there, and I need you to love like me, sacrificially and humbly, and, and look at me, I washed feet, but then I, then I went 20 steps more and I gave up my life for you. So if you love one another like I love one another, you're going to foster community that can obey me, because you know that the person speaking to you loves you, and, and they want good for you. And this idea of Let's obey the Lord together is all over the New Testament. I, I mentioned Hebrews 10.24. Colossians 3.16 says it. Let, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. So the Bible says that, that, that Ben can speak into my life in the same way that I can speak into Ben's life 
if we love each other like Christ has loved us. If not, we're not going to grow up. We're just going to end up resentful of one another. Do you see how these, these, these things stack? Paul says it to the Romans, sight unseen, in Romans 15, 14. He says, I myself am satisfied about you, Romans, that you, brothers, that you are full of goodness and full of all knowledge. Therefore, you're able to instruct one another. You're able to spur one another on towards obedience to Christ. You are able to have that community that's so loving, that does life together, by which we can all grow into the people that God's designed us to be. Ultimately, a loving community fosters growth. It's not just for giving hugs, singing kumbaya, but ultimately to obey the Lord who calls us friends by his death and resurrection on our behalf. But that's not the full why, because he's stacking concepts. And there's a reason we were in John chapter 15, verse 16, not a few weeks ago. Because Jesus is going to remind us of the ultimate reason we ought to love one another. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in or for my name, he may give it to you. That's the things that I've commanded you, and that's why I need you to love one another. That's what verse 17 is getting at. If you love one another, if you foster this community of loving obedience, it will put you in position to bear fruit for the kingdom, for the gospel, for the lost to become found, for the dead to become alive again, for the fallen world to come into the riches of the kingdom of God. See, Jesus is not telling us just to love one another so that we can all feel good. He's telling us to love one another so that we can bear fruit for him that will last for his name and for his fame. By this all men will know if, that you are my disciples if you love one another. See, he got interrupted. Just like you, he got interrupted. He was taking them somewhere that they needed to go. And he needed them to see it. He, he needed them to see that, that the love that is fostered within the, the community of his disciples, if it's done right, that people will begin to obey him and spur each other on towards good deeds and good works and more love and admonish one another and give more teaching and more goodness and more, hey, you got to follow Christ. Hey, you got to obey. Hey, Christ called you to this. Hey, don't be in rebellion. We need to do this together because ultimately we're, we're trying to bear fruit for the kingdom. That's how men will know that we are his disciples if we foster the right culture. And culture's that word that every business and every team wants to, call, wants to foster. So I, I waited till now to drop it. But, but we'll just use Christianese and say, let's do life together in love and community so that we can bear the most fruit that God has for us to bear. So my questions to you today are these. Could anyone accuse you of obeying this command? I'm making sure not to make eye contact with anyone. <laughs> Could anybody accuse you of obeying this command, loving the discipleship community? You might love your neighbors and you might love the Lord, but could anybody accuse you of this? Because Jesus says our fruit depends on it. Our effectiveness depends on it. That's the why. He's called us to bear fruit.
Could anybody accuse you of that? Are, are you, do you know and are you known to the point where you could spur anyone else here towards love and good works, as Hebrews 10.24 says? Or have you put yourself in position for that? If not, maybe you are in rebellion to the Lord's command, Right? Well, I love you, Pastor Matt. Well, I love you too. Thank you. But, but I, I speak to 200 and some of you every week. And if we added in the children, there'd be a lot more. This, this, isn't, this, isn't, the, this isn't it. It's this, not this. Because I, I, I suspect, now I can make eye contact again, I suspect that you want to bear fruit for Christ. And I suspect that you want your church to bear fruit for Christ. I suspect that's where your heart is. But we got to get this new command right for us to bear all the fruit that God has for us. We, we have to love one another. got to do life together in loving community. we got to fight for it. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, you are our teacher. You are the one that realigns our thinking and reminds us of who you called us to be. And you said that you would send the Holy Spirit right here in this set of passages. You, you would send the Holy Spirit to remind us of everything that you commanded us. So, Lord, for those of us who need a reminder today, would you remind us that the church is not a place where the love comes from the top down. Just as you, Jesus, says, I, I've loved you, but now I need you to love one another. I pray that you'd remind us today that the church is the place where we love one another side to side, seat to seat, from west to east, and east to west. I pray that you would remind us that you've designed something powerful for us if we'll obey. Lord, I thank you for so many who are demonstrating this practical love today. They came to church to be Jesus to another today. Lord, would you help us to do that more and more so that when we go from this place, we'd go filled up, ready to go into a lost and dying world, shine our light, and bear fruit for the kingdom. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you are able, would you stand with us today? Because I suspect at the 68-minute mark of today's service, you're ready to go. But I kept my promise because it's 1039. Heavenly Father, bless your people. I pray that love would be demonstrated among them and love would emanate from them everywhere they go this week. Dismiss us now with your blessing. Amen.